Do you think this issue was was more awesome because Superman was in it? Oh, definitely. definitely. Everything's better with Superman in it. Everything is better with Superman in it. There should be Jello. There should be a Jello flavor <laughs> that's like Superman. It's like they made Jello better. They put Superman in it. <laughs> like a, a a red, yellow, and blue striped Jello, like that ice cream. Have no, you ever I, seen Superman ice cream? Yes, yes, I do remember Superman ice cream. I remember uh, I somewhere around here in one of my many, many, many boxes of shit is some bags of Superman pretzels. I mean, not it doesn't have the pretzels in it anymore. I just kept like the empty, flattened bags. But you remember Superman pretzels? No, they were awesome. I remember um, Superman peanut butter too. Yes, I do. I, re- uh, I I like the commercial for that. Yeah, the animation the, on that animation. Thing is so yes, awesome. <laughs> that should have been a series. I wouldn't even have cared if it was if it was like a series that was Superman peanut butter centric. I wouldn't care because the animation was awesome. Every single one could could end with him defeating his villain using peanut butter, and I wouldn't give a shit because it was great. It looked like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez yeah. animated it, and I was just like oh this is so cool it was but uh you know what happens when you make milkshakes with superman ice cream um turns green oh oh yeah i thought you were gonna say like you got you know you were able to like lift cars up or something (laughs) that'd be cool no we we made milkshakes with it and and rachel starts screaming they're kryptonite i was just gonna say it turns into kryptonite that's awesome (laughs) great minds that is funny though that a Superman shake would turn into uh, to kryptonite. That's hysterical. <laughs> no, I was going to make a rude joke about you know like like actual chunks of Superman in there, but that that <laughs> I was going to go much much too far with that joke, so I, I, I just leave it lie. And it's so rare because he is the last Kryptonian, except for the fifteen billion others that show up. <laughs> All right, let's get cracking on this. All right. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron.
everybody, and welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode 55 of the show. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Scott Gardner. And once again, I would like to apologize uh, for the fact that Brainwave hacked our Lipson account <laughs> and wrote over all of the show notes that I had laboriously prepared. It looks like it's the last time we're going to see him, though. Because, uh, yeah, he got his ass kicked last issue, so I don't know if we're going to be uh, seeing too much of him in the near future. He uh, got what was coming to him. <laughs> yes, he did. So how are you doing tonight, Scott? I am awesome, except for except for one thing. Uh, I hate eBay, and eBay hates me. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about this earlier today. Ah, this sucks so hard. All right, so I have been trying so hard for many, many, many moons now to get myself a copy of Absolute Crisis on Infinite Earths, right? Yep. And, you know, it's one of those things where i got to get it cheap. You know, not only am I a poor, poor, poor white boy, but... I've already bought, like, every damn version of Crisis that exists, and I just, you know, yeah, I love it, it's great, but I'm, I'm kind of tired of buying versions of it, and I would never have bought the last version had I known the Absolute was going to come out, like, a couple of years later, so I've got to get it on the cheap. So I've been chasing it for a while, and it does pop up on eBay fairly frequently, and I, and I always bid the same amount for it, and I always end up getting outbid for it. So, last week, it was on eBay, and long story short, I didn't bid on it because we just didn't have the money to pay for it when the guy that was selling it would have demanded payment, and I, you know, I worry about those kind of things. I don't want to be a dick. I know I want my money when I want my money, so I wasn't going to ask somebody else to, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was bid on it, win it, and then be like gee dude you know i'll pay you in a week you know because i people do that crap to me and it really pisses me off it's like if you were going to do that then you should have contacted me ahead of time so i contacted the guy ahead of time but he didn't get the email in time so then what happens it ends up not selling and i was like son of a bitch so you know i was like you know any other time i would have bid on it and i would have got outbid so it doesn't sell well immediately the guy relists the thing on ebay and then he contacts me. He's like, "Geez, I, you know, I didn't see your email in time, but you know, feel free to bid on it. You know, it's no problem. You know, pay me when you pay me." So of course, you know, I go in and I bid on it and everything, watching it all week long. And what happens? Exactly what I thought would happen. I get because I bid on it, then some other asshole outbids me and, and gets the thing. So it doesn't sell when I've got the when I don't have the money to buy it. But when I've got the money to buy it, it, it sells and I get outbid. You, you know, so I, I, God damn it. I, I feel really bad for you, and, and this is what I'm gonna do. This is this is what I'm going to call upon for the listeners. Uh, you can buy those pretty cheap at like Amazon or in stock trades. You know, if we could get 65 listeners to give a dollar up, we could get you a copy. 
Oh, I appreciate that, but no, I, I don't. I don't feel right doing that. You know, what I don't mind is I, I don't mind if somebody wants to wants to email me or, or call me or whatever and go, hey, dude, you know, I just found it, you know, at the at my LCS for fifty bucks or something. Because I'm telling you, it's got to be half price. Yeah, it's got to be half price or less, and that might sound really, really cheap on a book that's a hundred bucks. But believe me, this is what I've been seeing it for, and the price I could have had it for if I'd had the damn money the week that I didn't bid, and then it didn't sell. I could have had the thing for I, I want to say it was forty. It was either forty-seven. It was either forty dollars plus seven dollars um, shipping, or forty-one dollars plus seven dollars shipping. So it was forty-seven or forty-eight dollars. I could have had it for less than half price. So that's my only stipulation. I want this goddamn book for less than fi- you know fifty bucks or less. So like like I say, I, I appreciate that offer. I really do, but I don't really I don't feel comfortable with that to be perfectly honest. But okay. if somebody you know if somebody can find that book for me and you know and, and you know calls me up or whatever and says, hey, you know I saw it at such and such for you know fifty bucks or whatever, and you know. We'll work something out. That would be awesome. You know, if you guys want to play like, you know, our eyes in the field kind of thing, that's great. You know, that I would love that. I feel I'll, like the uh, shadow and shit. That'd be awesome. You know, but uh, yeah, please, please don't, it. please don't send me money for for something. I, I I would much rather if you guys ever wanted to contribute money, please just send it to the show. You know, help help us pay the bills. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll keep an eye out at Dragon Con for it. Maybe somebody will have it for cheap. Awesome. Um, I appreciate that. I really do. I um, I got mine for Christmas one year, so, and now I will never give that up. It will be one of the things I grab and throw out the window as <laughs> right before yeah. I dive out the window because at last year's Dragon Con, I was first in line, and not only did George Perez sign it, he sketched the Earth 2 Superman in it yeah so yeah that's that's a keeper that's and uh, i'd sell the trade the soft cover trade paperback that i bought years ago but i got wolfman and perez to both sign that at the 2006 dragon con so that's something i can never give up either so yes yeah i've got the the the, I've got the silver one, whatever that one, whatever that. You got the one from ninety. When did that come out? Ninety eight, ninety nine. I got the yeah, something like that. I got the that, promo yeah. poster on my wall for that. Yeah. Of uh, DC, the original universe. Yeah. Yeah, my so. wife, uh, my wife got that one for me. For I'm pretty sure it was either a birthday or a Christmas. So yeah, I, I know what you mean. It has sentimental value to me, just you know, because my wife bought it for me. And is it one know, of the screwed up copies? No, no, it is not. Okay. No, I realize that one's worth more because it's screwed up. But no, I, I, if I had gotten one of the screwed up ones, I would have returned it for a non-screwed up one because, <laughs> you know. I, I, that's one of those instances where I'll, I'll, I'll take readability over value. You know, I want to be able to, you know, read it. Oh, the recoloring in both of them is just so freaking oh, gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, the 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 thing is, and and what some people listening may not realize, because they may not realize what the absolute crisis on Infinite Earths has, is that not only is it an oversized reprinting of the twelve issues in one volume looks gorgeous but it has a second volume which not only reprints the two uh, indexes that were published that I have I have the individual copies of those right 
but um, the two indexes, and it's got a bunch of behind-the-scenes material, and it's got a listing of every single alternate Earth. And when I say every single alternate Earth, I'm not just talking Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3, Earth S, Earth X, Earth 4, um, Earth C, and all the others. I'm talking every freaking imaginary story has an alternate Earth to it. Right. And it mentions that and tells you why it's a different Earth. So, yeah, we're going to need that. Yeah, definitely. We're going to need that. Because we're creeping up on it, and I want to have it by the time we get to yeah. crisis coverage. You know? I, we really, yeah. It's going to be so epic. It's yeah. going to be the most awesome thing to ever happen to podcasting, and I say that with no hyperbole whatsoever. Uh, if we do this the way we want to do this... No one will ever be able to do crisis ever again. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the way. Yeah, that's the way I envision it. That's the way I would like it to be. Where people go, well, you know, we'd like to do a crisis episode, but holy shit, they knocked it out of the park. We won't be able to touch that for another hundred years. What we need to do is is, is get a collection together to pay Jim Cummings, who does he does the voice of Winnie the Pooh and he does the voice of Tigger. Uh, he does he did Darkwing Duck. Uh, but he also is a big trailer guy who does, you know, like voiceovers for trailers. It'd be mm-hmm. funny to get, like, Jim Cummings to do, like, the epic Worlds Lived, Worlds Died, and the DC Universe was never the same. <laughs> Chills. We will have to get somebody like that. We will. We'll have to, we'll have to find somebody with a voice like that and get them to do a, a, a special uh, voiceover for us. That would be awesome. <laughs> Well, sir, you have the synopsis for this uh, for this awesome, awesome issue of All Star Squadron. All right, I-, I venture to say that it's a game changer. Yes, for the series. Yes, in-, in more ways than one, and I will I will get to that when we get to the to the notes section. But all right, let's dig into this bad boy. This is All Star Squadron number twenty one. This is the May nineteen eighty two cover dated issue. Original cover price on this is 60 cents. It features an awesome cover by Jerry Ordway depicting the villain, the man called Cyclotron, and he's a big glowy looking dude, and he's standing he's standing on the on the edge of this building where like an entire floor has been knocked out of this building. And he's mm-hmm. standing at the edge and he's about to hurl the Golden Age Adam down to the street far, far below as Firebrand is shooting a fireball at him. Superman's in the background. Hawkman yes! and uh, Dr. Fate's flying up from below. And it's just great. It says, A Tale of Triumph and Tragedy by Roy Thomas and Jerry Ordway. I'm, I'm going to stop you for one second. Is sure. this the first time we see this style of S on the Earth 2 Superman? Ooh, you know what? That's... No. Is it? Because before this, whenever they would show him the bottom of the S would be flat. It wouldn't come to a point. And the inside of it would be all squiggly and screwed up. This is more the Earth 2 Superman S that I like. You could be right, but you would think that that would be a note in the All-Star Companion, and I don't recall it being one, but you I don't know. that. We'll have to do some research and see if yeah. we can find out on that, because you pose an interesting question... Because if I remember right, that story that we covered not long ago 
the uh, DC Comics Presents annual. I think that was one of our bitches with that one is yeah. that the S's and the costumes were virtually the same, weren't they? Yeah, they were very, yeah, it, it, I'm trying to remember because it's been a while since we recorded that. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is why the S from the new movie appeals to me so much because it looks very similar to this one. And I think that's an interesting direction for a new Superman movie to take. But I'm going to, uh, that's, that's my first tattoo is right there. That has, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm going to get that tattooed on my arm. Okay. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And well, we're kind of wrong and kind of right at the same time. All right. I am looking at a cover for DC Comics Presents Annual number one, which is the meeting of the Earth. Well, it's not the first meeting, but it's it's Superman and the Golden Age Superman of the guest stars. Uh, you know, okay. the stars of this one. Okay, on the cover you've got Earth One Superman flying one direction, Earth Two Superman flying the other direction. Okay, the S that's on Earth Two Superman's chest is very much the one that's on this All Star cover. However, you are correct, sir that it does not come to a point it's flattened at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So you may be right that this is the first time we're seeing it pointy uh, yeah, I, at the bottom. I don't bottom. mean to jump into notes uh, right away, but it just it literally just occurred to me as I was looking at this cover. Yeah, I, so. I, that's a good catch because, to be honest with you, I don't think I ever really noticed the flattened bottom version before. For some reason, that just kind of skipped past me. I don't I don't know how it that, always just annoyed the piss out of me, which is why I noticed it. Yeah, it looks odd. It yeah. really does because that combined with the with the top of the S, which. I'll be honest, I never really cared for the Earth 2 Superman's S, the way it has that funny, elongated, you know, beginning to it at the top. You know, that's the main differentiating thing between the two S shields. I never really liked it all that much. So that was the the part I always looked at. I never really looked at the bottom of it before to realize one was flattened and one was pointy. I don't know how I missed it, but I just did. Anyway, let's see. Let's get back to this. We got uh, Roy Thomas, writer-editor, Jerry Ordway, illustrator, welcoming Mike. Now, how do you say this dude's last name? Is it Macklin? I've always said Macklin. Okay. But uh, I could could email Jerry Ordway and ask him. Yeah, I would like to know. For future reference. And when I was a kid, I said McClan, but I I really have no idea. Macklin. McClan. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, He's he's the inker. We're welcoming him uh, this issue. Uh for letter, it's just listed as C. McCarthy. I have no idea who this person is. Just C. McCarthy, it says. It's Charlie McCarthy. Oh, Charlie he McCarthy. Came, <laughs> he, he, he came to life and started started lettering comics in the 80s. Like 90% of the audience was like, who? Uh, let's see. Gene D'Angelo, colorist. The story is entitled A Tale of Three Citadels. Okay. This issue, you must indulge me, because this is literally how this issue begins. We open with a beautiful, beautiful splash page, and this is what it reads. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane! It's Superman, fresh off his adventure in Action Comics number 47, where he kicked Luthor in the head. The Man of Steel, Power Stone in hand, alights atop the helicline entrance to the Perisphere at the site of the 1939-40 World's Fair. There he is greeted by the combined forces of the All-Star Squadron and the JSA, fresh off their adventure in the last two issues where Green Lantern cyber-kicked Brainwave in the head. 
Superman. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Superman tells the All-Star Squadron about the Power Stone and his battle with Luthor. Liberty Bell tells Superman about their battle with Brainwave, and everyone is brought up to speed. Hawkman speaks up and tells that before they were all sidetracked by Brainwave, he was asked by the War Department to gather the entire Justice Society of America in Washington, D.C. for the formation of a special battalion. Johnny Thunder elects Wonder Woman to be group secretary, which elicits some scolding from the Atom and Dr. Fate, who make a case for how powerful Wonder Woman is and how she didn't leave Paradise Island just to come sharpen pencils during the World War, but Wonder Woman graciously accepts the position, saying that everyone must do their part. Tarantula reminds the JSA about their busted-up headquarters, and uh, the talk turns to their battle with the fake Thor. Eventually, Hawkman, Firebrand, Dr. Fate, and the Atom leave for their old HQ and to recover Thor's hammer, which Hawkman suspects is really a mallet that he himself lost some time ago. Most of the rest of the JSAers, plus Wonder Woman, head out for Washington, D.C., leaving behind Superman, uh, Green Lantern, and the rest of the All-Stars. Liberty Bell starts to ask Superman if he might know of a place the All-Stars could hang their hats, but an offhand comment from a jealous Johnny Quick about finding a broom and sweeping up the perisphere makes Liberty Bell realize that the perfect home for the team is right under their noses, and she proudly declares the World's Fairgrounds the permanent headquarters of the All-Star Squadron. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Superman offers to loan the group, quote-unquote, some stuff from his own secret citadel. So he, Bell... And Green Lantern head there, leaving behind Tarantula, Robot Man, Commander Steel, and Johnny Quick, who isn't too happy his woman ran off with the Man of Steel. In Act 2, Hawkman, Adam, Firebrand, and Dr. Fate arrive at the JSA Brownstone only to find it engulfed in flames, which Firebrand quickly absorbs and in doing so, learns that she has thus gained the ability to fly. Adam finds Hawkman's mallet among the ruins, but in reaching for it, he is attacked by a new menace that lies in wait under the rubble, a glowing masked mustachioed powerhouse known as Cyclotron. I love that name. The villain hoists the Atom over his head and threatens to uh, harm to the tiny titan if the heroes don't hand over the mallet. Hawkman concedes, but then for some stupid reason, Cyclotron chucks the atom at him, and this huge fight breaks out in which a building is toppled, and a police officer sacrifices his life to save uh, Mayor LaGuardia from falling debris. Cyclotron is stunned by this turn of events, having never meant uh, to harm anyone. The heroes come at him full force, but something about Cyclotron weirds out Dr. Fate, and he warns the others off. Uh, choosing to face Cyclotron alone, which, of course, provides the bad guy with the opening he needs to escape. Left with no clues and no way to pursue Cyclotron, the guys decide to continue on to D.C., but Firebrand is going to play out a hunch and go see Fairy Tales Fenton for some possible answers. Elsewhere, Superman shows Liberty Bell and Green Lantern around his awesome proto-fortress of solitude called the Secret Citadel. But naturally, superheroes can't ever just hang out and shoot the breeze together without some nutcase attacking them. And that's exactly what happens, as first an earthquake rocks the joint, and then green uglies pour out of the ground and attack the good guys. They are led by the awesomely attired Death Bolt. I love this guy. 
who battles all three heroes to a standstill while his female companion snaps up the fallen power stone. Who is this mysterious Maul? None other, Superman realizes, than his old foe, the Ultra Humanite. Okay, let's see. Historical notes on this one. We've got uh, we've got a few. Okay, uh, beginning with this issue, the newly promoted DC managing editor, editor Dick Giordano. Miss you, Dick. You were awesome, buddy. Dick Giordano arranged for Roy Thomas and a few other writers to become paid editors of comics they scripted. Roy Thomas had been both a writer and editor uh, at Marvel from 1965 to 1980. That's how he preferred to work, despite his good relationship with the original All-Star Squadron editor, Len Wein, who also became a writer and editor under this system. Hawkman says that the Thor's hammer used in number 18 by Fairy Tales Fenton sounds like a mallet I lost on a case. Uh, the one he'd related in All-Star Comics number three, and it says, check out the hardcover All-Star uh, Comics volume, uh, or excuse me, All-Star Comics archives, rather, volume one. Uh, that's where you can find that story reprinted. The two team chapters are mastheaded by small logos from 1940s uh, stories of the individual heroes. Firebrands was taken from a tale of the male hero, who was her brother, that of the Atom had previously appeared only on a single episode, I think they mean issue, in 1948. Firebrand finds that she can absorb flame as well as create it and hurl it. And I actually looked this up because I was like, when the hell did she hurl it? But it actually, there is a panel that kind of sort of looks like she might be firing a, a blast at somebody. It's also on the cover of the of the issue, but... It wasn't one of these things where she was suddenly spouted out like, hey, I can hurl fire. It j she just kind of does it. You know what I mean? Um, continuing. And that she can fly. Guess she'd been reading Human Torch comics. I like that little uh, comment. There. <laughs> <laughs> the Adam mentions Monogram Serials. That company and several other small film studios operated in an area of Hollywood referred to in the business as Poverty Row and had such Western stars as Whip Wilson and Sunset Carson. Superman takes Green Lantern and Belle to his secret citadel, forerunner of the Fortress of Solitude. Hey, that's the same thing I said. First seen in Superman number 17 and World's Finest Comics in 1942. On a wall in the Citadel is a poster announcing the world premiere of Superman, probably an in-joke reference by artist Jerry Ordway to Paramount slash Fleischer's Superman theatrical animated shorts that debuted in 1941. Are any of these ones that include a picture something we want to touch on? One of the pictures that I think is is worth mentioning is uh, you know the the splash page of Superman flying with everyone saying fat you know it's a bird it's a plane it's Superman. There's a there's a neat little <laughs> there's a neat little thing here. It says where is Jackson Beck when you really need him? Uh, Roy Thomas <laughs> asked for the opening splash in number twenty one so he could utilize the opening narration from the Adventures of Superman radio program he'd loved as a kid in the late 1940s, as the Man of Tomorrow shows up for the first time since issue number four, Earth 2's S symbol and all. Jackson Beck was the later famous announcer of the radio series and also shouted out that immortal line, It's Superman! 
Beck and Roy Thomas met when they lived in the same apartment building in New York City from 1968 to 1976. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and what I was originally planning to do was um, to play the opening narration from the radio series uh, at the beginning of your synopsis, but... Uh, you you seemed really really excited to read it, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll just play it right now, so that uh, we, we get both. So, if you've never heard it, folks, here is the breathless opening to the Superman Radio Show. Kellogg's Pep, the super delicious cereal, presents the adventures of Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman who today brings the exciting hunt for buried treasure to a somewhat successful end. What do you got on this one, Mike? Well, um, <laughs> there's almost too much to mention. <laughs> there's like something on every page for me. I I'm serious. Mm. Uh, like you, I love the cover. Uh, it's a really exciting cover that points out how creepy the Golden Age Adams costume is, that he has bare legs and the red boots. It just doesn't look good. But it's still a good-looking cover. <laughs> the, the, co the costume design is not Jerry Ordway's fault. But, uh, but I do love that Hawkman has this I'm-gonna-punch-you-in-the-nuts position <laughs> as he's flying towards Cyclotron. Uh, looking, you know what? You know, last episode we we went on, we read uh, Luke Jacanetti's email, and and I talked about my personal feelings about Hawkman, and that I didn't really like the way Roy Thomas handled him. Uh, several of my notes in this issue are going to be completely contradictory to that <laughs> because I really liked Hawkman in this issue. I liked everybody in this issue. Uh, you just you actually just solved a mystery for me. I was trying to figure out why Dr. Fate looks so alarmed and like he actually might be saying something. I think that's what he's saying. He's going, no, Hawkman, not his nuts, the other guy, because, you know, they have similar outfits. So he realizes <laughs> that Hawkman, while while well-intentioned, he's actually going to nail the wrong guy right in the ball. So, yeah. Um, I really like pages two and three. The top is a nice little half splash but it goes over two pages of everybody standing there i have the um, same note sir there, yes. there's just it the one thing that this issue suffers from and i think it's one of my few like negative notes is that this is quintessential roy thomas having everyone fucking talk yep um which isn't as we've said in the past it's not bad you know it's not like terrible it doesn't detract from the issue but it sure does increase the time you it takes to read it, because if everyone talks on the panel, then you're you know I like to pay attention to the dialogue. So, uh, though on the flip side of that, it makes it more exciting to read because it makes it a more like every issue is worth it basically because you are getting as much out of the dialogue and the art as humanly possible. On the bottom, I love that when it goes, of, of those two pages, I love that when it goes into the flashback, it goes into black and white halfway through. Mm -hmm. And it's just a neat little art effect. I, I don't know who decided to do it. It looks great. Page four, uh, fifth panel, could have done without the ass shot of Superman. Uh, but that's just me. I like that, actually. Not his ass, necessarily, but I like the uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't know what you would call. I guess body language is it's, it was something I was actually going to talk about a little bit later. Is that this issue is great for actually making some of the panels look like they're almost like still shots from a movie. You know, you're, yeah, you're no. seeing these people as they might be moving. In this instance, the ass shot of Superman. You're, you're catching it as the wind is blowing his cape as he's standing there just chit-chatting with his friends. I actually kind of like that. I think that's a very cool thing. The the panel right after that, I agree with you, by the way. Uh, I wasn't ignoring your statement. Um, <laughs> no, I agree with you throughout the issue. That That's very... It's, it, Jerry Ordway is the best artist this series ever had. Um, there's a shot of Hawkman with his like foot up on something... Um, I know you, 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 you sigh and roll your eyes and all that whenever I mention Family Guy. But there was an early episode of Family Guy. I was Guy. hoping we could get through one episode, just one episode without a Family Guy. Re- but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Um, there's an episode, an early episode of Family Guy where Peter runs against his wife for a school board position. Uh, it's like head of the school board or whatever. And he does a commercial where... No matter where he is, you know those commercials where the politician, whoever's talking, like hikes up a leg on a desk or a ledge or something, just mm-hmm. to kind of make it look like it's casual. Well, he does that like no matter where he is in the middle of the football field, <laughs> in the middle of the gymnasium. There's always a desk there for him to put his leg up on, and he whips the jacket over his shoulder, and that's what that panel reminds me of. <laughs> so yeah, weird. Um. I really like on page five at the bottom that it's all one big panel separated by uh, dividing lines to make it look like four panels, but it's all one image. You and Chris were discussing this on two months ago on Star Trek, Star Wars Monthly Monday, where they did a similar effect with R2-D2 in one of the issues you were talking about. And and I really thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> On page six, this is kind of a, a worthless note, but the second panel, Dr. Midnight's kind of looking at the audience like, what the hell are you looking at? <laughs> I, I, I kind of interpreted that panel the opposite way, like like Green Lantern's going, Jesus, will you shut up already? You're embarrassing me. <laughs> um, page seven. This is one of the reasons why I think you and I will mention the everybody gets to talk thing because been wanting to congratulate you robot robot man on being declared fully human by the courts thanks it's a start anyway it's it's neat to see them all together talking but it's not exactly necessary but again i don't really want to uh complain too much because it's it's just Roy Thomas's style. You either accept it or you just get annoyed by it. So I choose to accept it. Um, I really feel bad for Johnny Quick on this page, too. Because all he wants to do is talk to Liberty Bell. Because he's got a thing for her. And, you know, <laughs> uh, Bell, uh, could I talk to you for alone for a minute? But Johnny, as All-Star Chairwoman, I thought maybe I should. Well, forget it. <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what he's feeling there. So, because she does just go to talk to Superman, and I'm sorry. When you're hot for a girl and she goes and talks to the best looking, most awesome guy in the room, 
in the world, in the world, (laughs) in the world. Yeah. I'm just talking in general, trying to compare it to this. (laughs) This is like that to the 10th power though. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. But, uh, I, I, I I do like the fact that on that, uh, I guess it would be the sixth panel of that page. Superman looks like he's hitting on her. She gets all the chicks. I was about to say she she's looking up at him like really any any time anywhere Superman. <laughs> it's really up to you at this point. But I, I do like the fact that this is where they decide that the Parisphere would be the perfect permanent headquarters to the All Stars for the All Star Squadron. That is just great. Well, you'll uh, notice that on that page right there that you know he does not invite. Green Lantern. He says, why not come with me and check it out? And then Green Lantern on the very next page says, hey, can I tag along? <laughs> and while Superman says, be my guest, I kind of think that if we could see a little bit more of the expression on Superman's face there, he's actually trying to stare down GL, but GL's just too stupid to get the hint. Yeah. You know what I mean? GL's just like looking off and he's just like, dude, seriously? Really? Are you going to ring block me like that? Seriously? Really? Well, in that very next panel where GL's following after them, if you look at the look exchanged between Liberty Bell and Superman, she's going, you can ditch this asshole, right? And he's like, yeah, no no, no problem. Don't worry about it. I can fly a lot faster than a magic ring. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you my secret, Citadel. <laughs> the, uh, I do like on the bottom of page eight, though, that uh, Robot Man and Steel immediately want to fix Electro up to, to be their butler, which is just great. <laughs> page nine... I love the fact that everybody gets a logo design for their names at the top of the page. Yeah. And it says part two. And this to me is one of the best scenes Roy Thomas has ever written in this series thus far, because not only do we get firebrands new ability to float and not only is it not, it, like you said in the synopsis, she doesn't go, oh, look, I'm floating. It's this great exchange on page 10 where the Atom is like, was it the Atom? Um, or is it on page 11? I'm sorry. Uh, where'd you learn that little stunt, Brandy? As a matter of fact, that's the first and only time it's happened. So we as the reader get to discover it at the same time as Firebrand. And I right. love that kind of stuff. Especially because the artwork sells it. One character in this issue that I thought I wouldn't give a crap about was Mayor LaGuardia. But the way yeah. Roy Thomas draw, uh, writes him and the way Ordway you know, does the artwork for it, he's like a cool guy. He's kind of like a badass throughout this scene. Have you ever seen Ghostbusters 2? Um, yes. Thanks to All-Star Squadron, I knew who the hell the mayor in the movie was talking about when he said that he had stayed up all night talking to uh, Fiorella LaGuardia. LaGuardia. <laughs> so, um, but this the, the whole setup of from the moment they get there to the moment where Cyclotron juts his hand up out of the rubble and the fight that follows, this is such an awesome sequence. It's like... Okay, in the past, you know, there have been some really good action sequences in this book. There really have. Uh, there have been some not-so-good action sequences, but there, 
until this issue, there was never a fight scene that I was fully engaged in from beginning to end. Like, hanging on the edge of my seat. And it kept building upon itself, and building, and building, and getting better. And then Cyclotron uses more of his abilities. And then Dr. Fate really gets into the fight. And then that cop dies. And I actually felt something for a character that had been introduced two pages before, and is really could have been a, a throwaway character, but everybody in the scene from Mayor LaGuardia to Dr. Fate is just anguished that this cop heroically gave his life to save the mayor. I mean, page uh, 16, when Dr. Fate is holding the cop's body and say, say a prayer to the elder gods for the soul of the one who did not survive. I actually, I didn't shed a tear, but I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> I'm feeling more for this than I think I uh, than I ever thought I could. So the whole sequence with Cyclotron really set him up as a formidable threat. Probably the best new villain to come along in this series. Uh, one of the few new villains to come along. Uh, page nineteen. I love the doorway for Superman's Secret Citadel. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I like the fact that you get into it by pushing on the S. <laughs> that is just cool to me. And the whole fight scene in there, even though it just freaking, you know, happens, is really cool too. And it again, it builds upon itself, and I'm so glad that you said you liked Deathbolt, because I love oh, Deathbolt. Oh yeah, he's he's awesome. I love his costume. Design. Yes, that that is exactly that's one of my notes. I I have loved Deathbolt's costume since he got the half page in Who's Who which was the first place I saw it, I'm like, wow, that's a great name, and that's a great costume design, and he goes nowhere. He's just <laughs> like, in this story, and that's pretty much it. Uh, and But still, his first appearance is great. Love the fight with him and Superman and Liberty Bell. And then the ultra-humanite shows up, and it's just like, it gets better, it gets better, it gets better, and then just when it gets like truly awesome, to be continued. He would be a great character to cosplay as at a convention mm -hmm. just to see, you know, if anybody had any idea who the hell you were dressed as. But uh, let me see if I can we can paint a uh, a mental picture for for those that might not be familiar with Deathbolt. The 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 immediate uh, character that I, I think he he resembles the most would be Magneto. Yes. So it's like Magneto, but with a different color scheme. Where where Magneto's outfit would be. Uh, uh, what is it? Red or it's like a red maroon? and purple? Yeah, red and purple. Where his, where Magneto's would be red, um, Deathbolt's is purple, and then where Magneto's is purple. Have I got the colors right with Magneto? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Deathbolt's would be green. That's that's right, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah, because I know Magneto has the red helmet. Let me see. It's a red helmet. No, does he have a purple cape or a red? I guess he has a he has purple, a purple cape. cape. Okay, so Deathball also has a purple cape. And then where Magneto's bodysuit is red, Deathbolt's is green, and then where like Magneto has the trunks that are purple, this guy also has purple trunks, purple boots, and then he has a... his gauntleted uh, uh, gloves and everything. You know, he's got like the shiny gauntlet things there, kind of like something like Captain Marvel would wear. They're purple, and then he has purple gloves. But I just think he's great. And then he's got a big black lightning bolt on his chest. And it's, yeah, he's just got an awesome look. I, I love his costume. 
It's kind of the Boba Fett effect, but yeah, I'll, I'll totally yeah, agree with yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he is to- he's a total Boba Fett. Yeah, you're right. Because I didn't remember that this is pretty much it for him. That that That's a shame. I think it is. He may show up, but the fact that he only got a half a page in Who's Who tends to suggest to me that he doesn't really go. Cyclotron got a whole page. Ah, uh, so- okay. Well, I know that something goes on later where, where the Atom eventually adopts pretty much cyclotron's outfit doesn't he but i can't remember why the hell does that um he gains superpowers superpowers yeah but i i still can't remember why i i we're i think we're gonna find out so i really don't want to spoil ahead on that because because that's a major plot point yeah i'm looking forward Um, to that because just because i can't remember why exactly mm -hmm. that happens but i love cyclotron's look as well although I don't like the mustachioed guy, you know? I, I, I think he would just look that much cooler if he was just, you know, on, it's, shaving, it's, but... that But that was a big thing in the 40s. Right. So, I mean, this is... It, you, you know who would play Cyclotron in a movie about 20 years ago? Oh, Timothy Dalton. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say. It looks like, you know, Neville well, Sinclair as, yes! as Cyclotron, you know? That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to bring up the Rocketeer and his character in it, because that's what it looks like. Hey, that reminds me. Do you know that there's a new Rocketeer uh, ongoing out right now? Yes, I do. I've not been able to pick up an issue, though, but I've heard it is excellent. I, oh, I'm glad to hear that, because I, I bought the first three today, and I did not realize before I uh, purchased them that they are three ninety nine apiece, so they better be freaking spectacular i think the same publisher put out an omnibus of everything dave stevens ever did with the character i wish i I had no that's one of those things i wish i had had the foresight to know that they would do eventually because i spent years tracking down all that stuff so i've never read the comics really no i've just and i really need to read the comics I would be very curious to know what you think of them because I knew the Rocketeer before I went in to see the movie. Thankfully, the changes weren't great enough to where it, you know, I I hated it. You know, I love that movie. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. the changes weren't enough to where, you know, I I walked away going, oh, they changed it too much or whatever. I actually liked the movie version better. But I'd I'd be interested to to hear from someone who is only familiar with the movie, go back and read the comics and see what you think. Because there's some pretty significant changes between the the comics and the and the you know the the movie that we eventually got. I I could be wrong on this, but I think this is when the letters page changes from All Star Comics to All Star Squadroom. I think that was actually in the companion. I think that's odd that that didn't. Let me see. I'll look it up real quick. It's odd that that wasn't something that I read when we went over the notes, but I think you're right. I could swear that I had read that somewhere. I mean, it, it's not a big deal, but I like when they, when they, I like the old school names for letters columns, like Metropolis Mailbag and Detective Comments and the Bat Signal. Uh, it, it is here. For some reason, it's under the notes for the next issue, number 22. But if you look in the in the companion page 148, it does say, there's a picture that says All-Star Squadron. It says uh, there will be some changes made. It says with number 21, new editor Roy Thomas uh, altered the letters column title to All-Star Squadron, lettered Yay, in the same style. I was right. You were right. It's just odd that the note for it was under the next issue. But, yeah, I knew I had read yeah, that. Yeah, that happens from time to time. That's funny. Not a huge deal. Just <laughs> I, I, 
See, here, here's the thing about doing these podcasts is that I, 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 you know, my my mind and my and the planning that I put into it to my mind is that I'm going to catch all this stuff, right? But and I think you can relate to this, and some of our other podcasting friends can relate to this. When you're just in the heat of it, and you're just and I don't don't take this the wrong way when you're just trying to get the episode out. Right, because real life is just so crazy. You tend to miss little things from from time to time. Oh, believe me, yeah, so, I know. Well, we just had somebody on our forum point out something that I was a total like, you know, I should have had a V eight about the Star Trek five commentary that we just did. That the guy that we I don't know if you've listened to it yet, but the guy yeah, that I rip yet. on through the entire episode, the ball headed dude that that Cybok befriends at the very beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. he was Wyatt Earp. In Spectre of the Gun, you know, a classic Star Trek. <laughs> I knew that. I totally forgot about that. And so, yeah, almost every episode I've ever done covering a comic or some TV show or something, there's always something you forget, you know. And then you just that's that's one of those podcasting things, you know, we all go through where you eventually that's one of those things you just got to learn to live with it, that you're going to miss shit and you're going to kick yourself later for going, oh, God, why didn't I say this or that? But, yeah, I uh, yeah, like, like I said, it's it's not one of those things that it's it's not going to ruin your street cred <laughs> or anything like that but to me it's just you know I want to catch certain things and because anal retentive is hyphenated everybody yep. I want to catch when letter column names ch- happen and change letter <laughs> I can speak tonight I promise letter columns name changes happen right there I, I, I feel better having said that correctly <laughs> because uh, and I'm leaving all that in just because they it's going out raw 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 oh god actually it sounds like I'm saying raw say from now on <laughs> the what I have to watch what I say from now on <laughs> I, I I I try to I try to edit out your goofs <laughs> tend to hey, leave my goofs in can you make me sound smarter please. I, there ain't an audacity plug-in that's going to help me with that, sir. <laughs> I'm a bastard. You are. I hate you. Oh, let's see. Why are we friends again? <laughs> I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> well, that's uh, outside of the ads, which we actually have some cool ads to talk we do. about. We do. Uh, this is—it's like this is just a complete step up from the last. Co- I mean, it's not like it, the last couple issues were bad. No, but, but no, I feel exactly the same way that you do. That, but that, I, but I came bare. I, I started reading this, and I'm just like, this is going to be a good one to talk about. And then to know that we're in for like six or seven straight issues of awesome, mm-hmm. uh, especially since we're leading to an annual where a certain super team premieres. It's just like everything about this is just great. Just fantastic. Awesome. I love the Lab Rats. I can't wait till we yeah. get there. Oh, Lab Rats? Oh, oh, and, and let's not forget the Blood Pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, the four-issue miniseries, The Blood Pack, mm-hmm. uh, which somebody actually sent me an issue of and something I ordered off of eBay. They threw in some, like, free comics, and one of them was the issue of The Blood Pack, and I'm like, is this a bonus or is this a middle finger to me? <laughs> um what a cyber rats cyber rats can't can't forget about you know i i I really don't want to make fun of cyber rats because i think they were a creation of chuck dixon and i tend to worship at the altar of chuck dixon (laughs) so uh, i may have to read those and i may have to take that back but let us not forget superboy and the ravers 
which I actually chided somebody for making fun of in, a, in another podcast, so I feel bad about <laughs> But that's all I got. I, I feel like I've monopolized the episode, but I just had so much about this issue to talk about. No, no, like. that's all right, because I'm much the same way. I have buku notes, so no, I was just letting you run. Letting you run because you you actually touched on one or two of mine, but I'm always curious where our notes cross over and where we where we differ. <laughs> but uh, very first thing, and I, I did a quick look through all of the cover scans for the rest of the series to see if uh, if I was right or if anything jogged a memory. I'm not 100 percent positive. But I'm fairly certain. I think this was my first issue of All Star Squadron. When Ooh. and uh, so yeah, it it really, you know, when I opened it, it up and saw that beautiful splash, you know, with the classic opening for Superman, I was just like, oh yeah, I remember this issue. So yeah, <laughs> sorry, I just I one. suddenly heard the Kool Aid Man busting it. Oh yeah. <laughs> So yeah, this this one is. I, I knew this was where I you know really developed a fascination with, you know, the Parisphere and the Trilon and the new headquarters and all that. But the more I read through the issue, just things kept coming back to me, story elements and where things were leading. And I'm just so excited. And this is the first time since we've started this podcast that I'm actually read ahead of where we're at. Because normally I just read whatever is due for that, you know, the issue we're recording you know, and that's it. But no, I'm actually read several issues ahead because I, I found myself getting sucked back into a really great story. And I, I could feel the memories kind of coming back and going, Oh yeah, I remember this dude. What, what happens? Oh, I got to read the next issue. You know, so I'm actually several issues ahead and really loving it. So yeah, like you say, it's not like the last couple of ones sucked or anything, but they didn't, you know, they didn't really wow me either. Whereas this, yeah, this is great stuff. I'm really digging it. Um. Wow, uh, Ordway's stint as uh, penciler inker didn't last very long, did it? <laughs> it only lasted like it what two just issues? Takes uh, just takes so much more time. Yeah, well, that's to, pretty much to what do both. Yeah, that's pretty much what uh, whoever answers the letters. I, I'm assuming it's Roy Thomas. Pretty much, he, that's what he said was that yeah, uh, Jerry just found he couldn't do it all, so they brought uh, uh, McLan in or Macklin. In so, but I, I like his stuff. I'm gonna have a few issues with it in the next issue, but I'll save all that for next issue. But this issue, I thought, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, it will be interesting, and I hope that one of us remembers to do this when we're approaching the end of the series or when we get to the end of All Star Squadron when that sad, sad day approaches. You made a comment that I almost called you out on, but it will be interesting to just wait until the series is over and go back. Where you said that uh, Jerry Ordway, I'm trying to remember exactly how you worded it. Jerry Ordway, best artist in the, the series ever had, I think is what you said. Yes. I don't know about that. Okay. I don't know about that because an, an artist that I greatly appreciate, one of my very favorites, I suddenly remembered that he comes in for at least a couple issues later on, both in a penciler and inker capacity, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh, Joe but, Kubert? <laughs> no. So I will be curious once we revisit those issues whether I think he uh, he trumps uh, Ordway's work right here or not. At the moment, I'm not sure. Plus, don't forget, Buckler kicked the series off. 
And I love me some Jerry Ordway, but damn, I love me some Rich Buckler, you know? Yeah, but I, I, I think that we both like each artist for a very similar reason. That oh, absolutely. Really, when we really started getting into comics, that was one of the artists that we appreciated. Oh, absolutely. So for you, it would be Rich Buckler because you liked Rich Buckler before. For me, it would be the same thing with Jerry Ordway. Right. Not that I don't appreciate Rich Buckler. Uh, because I think he he drew that DC retroactive Wonder Woman in the '80s issue. I think I might have to that check just that out. Came out. Yeah, I might have to check that out. But I know that there's a cover coming along. I want to say it's number 36, but I could be wrong. But there's a cover coming along where Superman is getting his ass handed to him to a, a certain big red cheese that is yes. awesome awesome buckler cover so you know we'll just have to we'll have to see how it all plays but that'll be one of those things when we wrap up the series we'll look we'll do a nice in-depth look back and uh that'll be one of those things we'll have to do is you know who, who did we, we start think crying were, yeah who were the uh you know who were the big artists and you know that sort of thing anyway if i haven't already said it umpteen times already i love the opening splash in this it is awesome i would love to see this as a poster and uh i just love superman in general throughout this entire issue you know it's funny because when i was a kid i wasn't a fan of squinky eyed superman but looking back at this i really like it i really really enjoy this and uh i can't remember if it was last episode or comics monthly monday or what i know i recently in something I recorded with you, Mike, I, I made a, a, a comment, and I did not mean it to sound disparaging at all. Um, I really did not, because I noticed you were very quiet after I said it. But I, I must—I feel it bears repeating. I was never really that big of a fan of Ordway's Superman post-crisis, like when he was. Yeah, doing- I was. I was. I was keeping a little quiet on that because I didn't want to. I didn't want to be like, shut up. It's not like I hated it or anything. It's not like I I disliked it. I just, there was something about it. He was a little too bulky or something where I like this Superman that Ordway is doing because it's a nice mix between his own Superman and the classic Superman of the time. You're the squinky eyed Superman. So the, uh, I'm sorry. The thing I didn't say, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, no, go but, ahead. Uh, but uh, the thing I didn't say that I kind of wanted to say, but I didn't say, uh, not because I was like mad or anything, I don't want you to take it like that, is uh, I will agree with you that in the, in, uh, that in like after 425 of Adventures of Superman, uh, which mm-hmm. were the, 424 and 425 were the first issues that really set up uh, the Wolfman Ordway run of that ser- of the, of that series. I will admit that when I was a kid, I didn't like Jerry Ordway as much as John Byrne because I, th- I thought the, the, the jaw was too lantern-y. Yeah. You know, it was, it was uh, you know, the <laughs> Jay Leno. Jay Leno chin. Yeah, people. exactly. After Exile, when he started drawing Superman, everything changed for me with Jerry Ordway and Superman. Uh, the the jaw got a little more in... in um, in what do I want to say proportion, not perspective proportion. And there is an issue where Superman goes to take Jimmy Olsen to Cadmus and the splash page is Superman standing in the doorway with his cape 
like draped over his arm because he's going to wrap Jimmy in it so Jimmy can't see the way to Cadmus. And just the way Superman was drawn, the way the chest was, the, the figure of Superman looked fantastic. And that's where my, for lack of a better term, love of Jerry Ordway came in. So right. I will agree with you to a certain extent about the initial issues of Adventures of Superman, but eventually I think everything turned around. I'll agree with that, because it was the initial ones I was thinking of. Because mm-hmm. I know that there's a cover... During, I'm pretty sure it's during the Exile storyline only because it's Superman in space. And it's a perspective shot where Superman is flying, kind of like Christopher Reeve used to do in the movies, where he would fly with his arms at his sides. And Superman's flying towards us, the reader. Um, and I want to say there's like a ringed planet in the background, but I could be wrong. But it's a space shot. And it just, oh, I never liked that picture. Even though it's Ordway, and I love Ordway's art. But Superman just has this gigundous Jay Leno lantern jaw. And I just, I really, I like him. I like my Superman lean and mean. You know what I mean? I, I don't like him real bulky, um, which is odd because I'm also a, a huge fan of Wayne Boring. And Wayne Boring had the classic beer gut Superman. So, you know, go figure. But... <laughs> But uh, gut super, I've never heard that term. Well, you know that what they call it. You know the technical term is barrel chested. But I always oh, okay. saw that Superman and said, "Man, Superman needs to you know lay off the you know the Schlitz or something." You know, it's like he was just hitting the hitting the booze a little too hard. But it's like those those pictures that Boring would draw every once in a while of Clark Kent at work when he was working furiously and his tie would be loosened. You almost want to replace that with like a, a wife beater. <laughs> That's kind of stained on one side. <laughs> and he's got like the cheapest, cheapest. There was a there was a brand of beer uh, where I grew up in Allentown called Peels, <laughs> and this was the you know you get like sixteen, you know sixteen cases for five dollars type of thing. <laughs> so yeah, he'd be drinking the Peels light and be like, oh god, that's so gross. Let's, I will stop. I will stop interrupting you. No, no, you're fine, man. Uh, let's see. I got. I had the same note about the uh, the pseudo splash on pages two and three. I just. I love that Superman looks like he might be just a little bit short right there, but maybe he's coming in a little bit off center to where the heroes are standing. But I still a great. I just love that how there's there's conversations going on. And just again, it's it's all body language. I think Ordway does body language better than anybody. He he really draws a lot of these panels to look like, uh, you know, a moment in time. It's it's not all staged. You know what I mean? It feels very natural that you're catching a glimpse of a moment while something's going on. And case in point is uh, Doctor Fate. Or excuse me, Doctor. I always do this. Doctor Midnight, rather. Doctor Midnight is uh, listening to Green Lantern's heart with his stethoscope, while Wonder Woman, just, I love her body language. She's got one hand on Dr. Midnight's arm, one hand on Green Lantern's shoulder, while her head's actually turned watching Superman land. And it's just great. It's just, it's a very simple artistic thing of simple body language, but it shows that, you know, she's there for her teammate. She's being supporting, but at the same rate, oh, there's new activity, you know, and she's turning her head to see what's going on. I love that. It, it's it's so simple, but it's just a really nice 
touch artistically. Mm-hmm. It's very realistic. I also feel bad for Green Lantern and Dr. Midnight because the obviously more interesting guy just walked into the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see, where's my next note? Page five. Page five, panel one. I love this shot. It's a nice aerial view of the Perisphere and Trilon. And I could go on and on and on about how it very much reminds me of some of the preliminary artwork for uh, for Epcot the City. But I won't bore you with that. But it does. It really does. And it's just really awesome. And I love that shot. Page 7, panel 1. I just I love this simple moment between Superman and Robot Man where Superman congratulates him on being declared fully human. I, it's... Again, just a nice, short, little character moment, but it, it's really cool. I, I enjoy that sort of thing in comics where, you know, they're not kicking in some bad guy's head. You know, there's no world-threatening thing going on at the moment. It's just two buddy superheroes sharing a moment. I think that's cool. I think comics need more stuff like that. Uh, let's see. Last panel of page seven. I was really hoping that the companion would clear this up for me, and sadly, it let me down. Commander Steele makes a reference here that I'm sorry, I just don't get. He says, uh, hey, he says, didn't uh, Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland already do this scene? Now, I know it's referring um, to a movie that they okay. did together. What the hell movie is he talking about? He, he's, I, not, he's not talking about a specific movie, but back in the day, Mickey Rooney and Ju- Judy Garland would be in movies where, hey, let's do a show. My uncle's got a barn. Well, I can do this. Well, I can do that. So that's that's what they're referencing, uh, okay. the fact that it's like, hey, we got a headquarters. Well, I got some stuff in my secret citadel. All right, I got you. See, it's not like, I, I mean, I tried to research that, and I, I, I spent like probably two hours. I got sucked into some Judy Garland website <laughs> and was reading like all these lurid details about, she was one messed up woman. I, I yes, never realized was. all this stuff about why Judy do, Why Garland. do you think Liza Minnelli is the way she is? Oh, yeah. And uh, but I, you know, it, it was very interesting, and I'm glad I, I did it. But in the long run, when I walked away, when I finally got off the computer, I realized, what the hell did I sit down here for? Oh yeah, and I never <laughs> the answer to my question, so I still never knew what they were talking about. Because I, I was looking at all these movies, they made a lot of movies together, those two. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at like plot synopses of all these movies they made together, trying to figure which one was Johnny referencing, and never could figure it out. So. Thank you for clearing that up. I appreciate it. Let's see. Page 10. Page 10, next to last panel. I just love this shot of Firebrand sucking up all the flames. That's just cool. You know, she's she's actually absorbing the energy out of the air. And I'm not sure exactly what it is I'm looking at artistically that, that gives that impression, but it totally does. I can look at that panel without reading anything in the word balloons. And I know exactly what's going on that she's sucking the flames into herself. And I'm again, I'm not sure how he's doing it artistically, but he's doing it. And it's awesome. I really like that. I mean, that would be, I mean, if somebody, I don't care how good an artist is. If somebody walked up to you and said, okay, Mr. Artish, draw me a picture of somebody absorbing the flames out of the air, I'd be like, uh, you know, but he does it. He completely pulls it off, and it's just a it's a really beautiful shot. I love that. Uh, let's see. Page 10. 
I just love Cyclotron. That was pretty much my note for this. He's cool. <laughs> I love his outfit, and he's really awesome. Plus, I got to thinking, maybe they pop up again somewhere else or something, but these guys, remind these subterranean dudes remind me, so are these the same uglies that we saw from, remember those JSA stories we were reading in All-Star Comics? Like Power Girl and the guys went down into the you know Middle Earth or whatever and and were beaten up like give me a second people or something vamp for me all right I vamped I'll keep going while you're looking that up actually on page sixteen panel one I love this shot of Doctor Fate rising up out of the rubble. And he's holding the dead policeman in his arms. It's a great shot. It looks really, really dynamic. But it was also tickling the back of my brain. It's like, have I seen this before? And it suddenly occurred to me while we were flipping through the issue when you were doing your notes. Is this maybe some sort of subtle homage to the death of Captain Stacy? Because it kind of looks similar. It might be. I don't know. I, I, I'd swear I've seen a shot like that before, though. And then the only other place I can think of, like a dead police officer being pulled out of rubble, is the death of Captain Stacy's story. So I'm not sure. Let's see here. Uh, page 19. I pretty much had the same note you did. The Secret Citadel kicks ass. I like the Secret Citadel. Now, I'm a huge Fortress of Solitude fan. Just the idea that Superman has his own getaway place where he keeps, you know, all these cool trophies and. You know, just all this neat stuff. I, I get a kick out of this. But this one's cool because it's like Fortress of Solitude 1940s style. So, you know, instead of Superman having, you know, there, there was that great oversized book. Oh, I, I forget what the exact name of it is. Like one of the DC special series books. But the, the name of it on the cover was Superman and his amazing Fortress of Solitude. And at the end of that book, they revealed a special room that they'd never, ever shown before in any comic. And it was this room where Superman goes in and he had this special chair. I, I want to say it was a floaty chair, but I could be wrong. But he had this special chair that he sat in. And he had this huge, huge TV that was all broken up into like hundreds of different channels. So he's basically monitoring like every TV station on Earth. And his special chair makes him his favorite thing, which was a chocolate milkshake. I'm thinking, that's really cool, you know, but that was like in the 80s. In the 40s, Superman has a comfy couch and a radio with a big Superman ass on it. <laughs> and he works out with something that looks like a giant Swiss army knife. I thought that was pretty cool, too. Um, to answer your question, <gasps> they don't look exactly like them. Are they uh, close at all? Kind of, but these are more troll-like in uh -huh. the all-star issues these are more like cat-like i would yeah. say uh but i will agree with you about the fortress of solitude you know the main reason i like the fortress of solitude it's in the arctic yeah it's really cold and i love the cold when it when we had at the very beginning of this year the big ice storm here in atlanta which effectively shut the city down for about four days um i remember going to work and it was cold and it was quiet because I was going to work at like 5.30 in the morning. And there was a stillness to that. That I am, not to get too deep here, but I'm never more at peace than in those moments. 
Mm -hmm. So I like the concept that Superman kind of has the same setup where he goes. Right. Which is why in 2004, they tried to set up a new fortress in the Amazon. I was pissed off. Yeah, I did not like that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because not only is it stupid uh, on its face, but... Today proved it. The heat and humidity and I don't get along very well. <laughs> it, it creates a very angry mic. So the concept that Superman wouldn't hang out there, douchebags. <laughs> so. Well, I, you know, I it, I always regretted that there were so many stories published over the years that had Superman and Santa Claus in the same story, and it always showed them getting along very amicably. Because I always wanted to find out, like the great like secret untold story you know superman's dirty little secret where actually he had gone to the arctic and basically evicted santa and the elves and took over where they lived and made that the fortress of solitude that's the story i always really wanted you know the secret <laughs> story behind this, the fortress of solitude you know where santa wound up homeless at the end of it i would have loved that story Let's see what else we got here. Page 21, pretty much the same note you had. I love Death Ball. He's freaking cool. And lastly, oh, yeah, the ultra freaking humanite. I love the ultra humanite. And her crying game. Out yes. Yes. I love it. I love the human. I don't care if if it's the woman, if it's the big gorilla. I love the big gorilla, by the way. I don't care if it's the dinosaur I just like the Ultra Humanite. <laughs> I am a fan of the Ultra Humanite. So, yes, this was awesome. This was such a walk down memory lane. This was a great issue. It's a great storyline. It's going to continue for, what, two or three issues, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I, th I think it kind of goes beyond that, too. Yeah. And uh, I'm digging it. We are finally hitting that stretch where I'm like, okay, now I kind of remember what the hell's going on here, you know? So I'm excited. This is a great. This is a great era of uh, All Star that we're getting. This is where I feel like okay. This is the All Star that I remember. I guess is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? You know, it's kind of funny. We, we've joked and and and, and uh, said on numerous occasions that uh, you know we did the All Star comics revival from the '70s to kick this show off. Mm -hmm. But what we were really wanting to get to was the All Star Squadron looking through those issues of all-star comics as much fun as it was it doesn't even begin to compare to what we've been through with all-star squadron this is true and is true. um yeah I, I i think this was of all of the things that we are going to cover on this show outside of maybe crisis on infinite earths i think this is what you and i were born to podcast to oh, yeah. about so absolutely to remember <laughs> what <it> will not <laughs> last forever well i was excited that uh you know we we were both you know because i i know that you and i have probably done i know chris and i have definitely commented before about how it's so much easier when the comic sucks to get a good episode out of it because you can bring the funny you can rip on it you can make fun of it you can you know whatever it's much harder when an issue is awesome. So I'm glad that I feel like we brought just as much awesome yeah. to this one with comments and funniness as, as if it had just blown chunks. Because I really love this shit. And whenever I love one, I walk away going, oh, that was awesome. And then the very next thought is, ah, shit. 
You know, because <laughs> it's like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna make this interesting now? Because you can only say, I love this, I love that, so many times before it's like, okay, all right, yeah, okay, we get it, you like this, you know. The the thing about this specific issue, I think, and why we were able to to go at it with as much enthusiasm as ripping into a bad issue is because there's so many little elements coming together to make it great. It wasn't one specific thing that made this issue go, yes! It was the battle with Cyclotron. It was Death Bolt. It was the Secret Citadel. It was the scene at the beginning. It was the fact that Superman is here. And I will do my best to try and remember to scan the splash page of the of the Superman flying over the city and I'll put it up at the Two True Freaks Facebook page mm-hmm. uh, so that people can see it. Because it is something you need to see. No, it's just everything about this issue is what made it great. And, and the fact that you're right, it is the start of... It, it, well, actually, the last two issues were kind of the start. And really, when you think about it, that Viking issue that we made fun of so much... That really plays heavily into this. So without that, we couldn't have had certain plot elements from this issue. So that kind of changes. Um, that kind of changes my opinion more of that issue. It's like, okay, so it was more important than I thought it was because we got the hammer of Thor out of it. So. Did, did you want to move on to uh, uh, elsewhere in the DC multiverse? No, we got to do ads. Oh shit. All right, let's do it. Actually, what do we got in this one? I don't think we really had anything. I that well, no, I take that back. There was one that had jumped out at me in this one. Yeah, you know the M Network stuff, the D and D stuff, the Bubble Yum stuff. We can skip all of that. That that I don't feel bad skipping out on. And you know, there's a build your own collection of diecast metal racing cars that I could give a crap about. There is a thing right before the Meanwhile. mm Hmm. The stuff yeah. legends are made of. Yep, that was the note I had. Yeah. So you you want to start this one off? No, I mean go me? go ahead. No, I mean I'm just saying that this is what I had made note of as well because uh, it mentioned several different ones. One of which was uh, Action Comics uh, five forty four, which I remember reading a very good article about in uh, Back <laughs> Issue magazine not long ago. I appreciate that. I was going to pimp it if you weren't going to. <laughs> um, no, I I had the I had the the fortune to uh, be able to write for back issue magazine uh, back in issue 35. And I keep wanting to, to try my hand again, but every time the call goes out for submissions, cause I'm still on the, um, I'm still on the, uh, the read, the, the, the email list, something always comes up and I can't devote the time to a proposal. Um, but, but they've had some great. The, the, did you see what the latest issue of Back Issue was? Is that the Dead Heroes one? Nope, it's Batman and the Bronze Age. Oh no, no, I have not seen that. I, I'm actually I'm behind on uh, Back Issue, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, I couldn't pick it up last week at the comic shop because it was nine dollars. Ouch! But uh, yeah, it's gone up to eight ninety five. Ooh, that's not cool. But you can get like digital copies of it pretty cheap. At the That's website. true. Yeah. So you know, if you just want to read the articles, what'd you say, Rachel? Just stay off demonoid. I'm gonna stay off demonoid. I promise. <laughs> but this um, 
this ad for the stuff Legends are made of, DC Anniversary Issues, right around this time, for the next couple of years, they would put out these awesome anniversary issues of their titles Mm -hmm. with this great trade dress at the top. And the ones that this mentions are Detective Comics number 526, which I'm going to talk about a little more during Elsewhere of the DC Universe. Uh, Action Comics 500, which was, wasn't actually a comic book. That was a digest size. Right. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number 300, which I actually read when I was like 13. I picked it up in a dollar box. Uh, and that was a really cool issue. Action Comics 544. The introduction of the new Lex Luthor and Brainiac, which I am staring at right now, thanks to my superpowers figures. <laughs> my favorite looks for both of those characters. Yeah. I'll agree with that. Um, you know, sure, I really like the Super Friends outfit for Lex Luthor that he had in the comics for the longest time. But that power armor was just great. And it, it was totally colored by the fact that I grew up on Superpowers figures. So, did they have Amigo Lex Luthor? I forget. Yes. Yes, they did. What kind of costume? Did he have, like, the purple with the yeah, black bands yeah. and all that? And the yeah. And gloves? Mm-hmm. So, but both of those stories are really uh, are really cool, especially especially the Lex Luthor. You one, know what? You just got me doubting I, myself on it. Now that I think about it, I'm trying to remember. Was there Amigo? I may be misremembering that because I remember there was the larger sized figures as well. Right around the time that Superman the movie came out, they were still Migos, but they were huge. They were like. Mm-hmm. I want to say like 12 or 15 inches, maybe even bigger than that. And like the Superman very much resembled Chris Reeve. And there was a Superman, I want to say a Jor-El. Yes. A, well, there was a regular size Jor-El. But was there a large size one as well? Yeah, there, there was. a supersized Jor-El There too? was a supersized Jor-El. And then there was a supersized Lex Luthor. But damn, I, I'm almost convinced that there was a Mego sized, you know, a standard Mego sized Lex Luthor. It's just... I, I get to doubting myself only because I know that there's the, these new ones that are coming out that are like pseudo Migos. There's a pseudo Migo of Lex Luthor that's out now. And maybe I'm confusing that thinking that there was one back in the day when there wasn't. Because it seems like if there was one back then, I'd have had one. Because I'm telling you, dude, I had every freaking Miko that, you know, was like readily available. I didn't, I didn't ever have any of the like, super obscure ones like the uh, Teen Titans. (laughs) But I had just about... I mean, if they were a mainstream Marvel or DC hero or villain, I I pretty much had them all. You know? There were very few, you know, readily available Migos that I did not own when I was a kid. And I know I never had a Lex Luthor, so that's what kind of got me to thinking that maybe maybe there wasn't one. I'm actually looking at the... uh retro Mego type figure Lex Luthor and Superman right now. As a matter of fact, now that I think about it, I had taken, uh, I did a trade once with Randy um, and he had a Sharon, a Star Trek Sharon Mego figure. Okay. I can't remember what the hell I traded to him for it, but I got his Sharon and painted him to be Lex Luthor because he was the only bald Mego guy I had was the Sharon. And at that time, I didn't even know who the hell the Sharon was. So I painted him, uh, like flesh tone so that he would be my Lex Luthor figure. 
So maybe there wasn't one. I'm I don't know. I don't think there was. There was a Mr. Mixias Pitalik, which is kind I of had a him. figure. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, he was he had a pot belly. How did they how did they make a Michael J. Pollard uh action figure from the Superboy series? Because he looked just like <laughs> it's like they used that as the character design for the Superboy, Mr. Mixius Pitalik. If I'm not mistaken, Mr. Mixius Pitlick and the Penguin had the same body, just different Probably. Hands. I'm pretty sure they were the same body type. The the thing about Action Comics number 544 is, if I'm correct, George Perez designed either Brainiac or Luther. I believe he did both of them. Um... I thought Ed Hannigan designed Brainiac. I could be wrong. You, you know, yeah, you, now that you say that, that does... And I'm the one that wrote the article yeah. on it, and I can't remember it. <laughs> so for everybody who thinks that I remember everything, there you go. Um, the thing is, is that, to me, Perez drew those the best, especially during Crisis on Infinite Earths. So it is a little disappointing reading it for the first time, because you've got Kurt Swan drawing it. But I will say this... The story of Lex Luthor having enough of Superman shit is fantastic. The Lex Luthor story from this issue is great. The Brainiac story is good, but I'm not quite. I, I don't like it as much as the the Lex Luthor story. I remember this. The, I remember not really caring so much for the story, but I really liked Gil Kane's Brainiac. You know, new Brainiac. You know, okay. skeletal Terminator looking yeah. Brainiac. I really liked which, him, which is really funny because when I got the Brainiac action figure and we saw Terminator for the first time, my mom looked at me and said, "Hey, that looks like your figure." <laughs> so that's funny. There you go. It, it is one of my great regrets that a few years ago I can't remember what series it was. I want to say it was a series of Superman centric action figures. They had a great version of that brain of that version of brainiac as an action figure and like a dumbass i didn't pick it up i yeah, really it's the only have. one i don't have of the mattel line because that's when mattel got the dc license and they started putting out a bunch of superman figures yeah and i have most of those i have the doomsday i have the supergirl i have the bizarro i have the superman and i have a couple of the lex luthers thanks to buying that skeletor lex luther two-pack i don't have the brainiac now, that was a good-looking Brainiac, not as good-looking as the Crisis on Infinite Earths Brainiac that came out from Oh, I DC forgot Direct. about that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Because you had, to, you, yeah. you had I, the I Lex Luthor and down. the Brainiac. Of yeah, that. that's both right. both of those look really good, except the Lego my Lex Luthor broke. He'll still stand up, but if you go to move him, the leg will fall off. So I need to get a new one of that. It's leg fall off, boy. Leg fall off. <laughs> He's related to arm fall off boy. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> but um the Brave and the Bold number 200, I think we should wait to talk about that till we get to it in in the elsewhere in the DC multiverse that it's in because that's a that that we need to cover on a Tales of Earth 2. Yes, we thing. do. Yes, uh, we just, do. Just because it's the closest the two Batman ever came to meeting. And I think that's a damn shame that they never had an adventure where those two got to team up. See, I thought they had at one point in uh, in Justice League, but I guess they I guess they must not. Have. I know that the two Robins did, but I guess the two Batmans never did. That is a shame. 
So we got the meanwhile column, unless you have anything else to say about that. Negative. No, that was pretty much it. The uh, the meanwhile is all about uh, Dick Giordano's recent trip to a comic convention and telling people how to submit um, artwork and stuff to try to get work at DC Comics. So hmm. that's that's pretty cool. That is cool. See, I didn't read it because I, I kept seeing the bolded words in here were Atari Sword Quest, um, yeah, he's Atari Force. About- He's talking about the comic books that were packaged with Atari games that yeah. DC did. See, I thought the whole column was about that, so I didn't I didn't read it because I I mean I, I like that stuff and I remember it, but I I thought that's what the whole article was about, so I was like, eh, I don't need to read about Atari Force. <laughs> the uh, well actually I really like that series. The eventual series that DC published. Mm-hmm. I've never read the Atari the like the mini comics that came with the cartridges. They're better actually. I, at least I think so anyway. But uh, I really, uh, until the end, when it turned out to be a total Star Wars ripoff, um, which I should have seen coming, but I loved Packrat. It's like I really, that's that's like the character I glommed on to for some bizarre reason. Packrat was a great character. Not Tempest. <laughs> uh, we got a karate kung fu ad in here that's kind of stupid. Uh, the inside back cover is... Re- uh, no, I was going to say Return of the Jedi. No, it is not. It is Star Wars Jedi Arena video game cartridge. Now, I love this picture. Yeah, of Luke. Yeah, I love the picture of Luke battling the uh, the remotes. But this game, you know, I really wish I could reach back in time and give 15-year-old Scott Gardner a pat on the back for being smart enough to realize that this game would suck ass and didn't buy it because, yeah, th- that game was a piece of crap, dude. Even by Atari standards, that was a shitty game. So, yeah, I played it once or twice years and years and years later, and but I never did play it when it at the time when it came out because it was just one of those I looked at and go, yeah, that looks like it would suck. And, yeah, it pretty much did. Did you ever play that game? No. Yeah, it was pretty Unfortunately, crap. I can't remember an Atari Star Wars game that I did play. Uh, I don't think I played any of them. I remember when I was a little kid, we went to like a Chuck E. Cheese type place. What was that called? Had Billy Bob, this bear, uh, as their mascot. Hmm. Uh, that my grandfather, would, my mom's dad would be like, Billy Bob Broccoli. I don't know why he would say that, but I was eight and it made me laugh. They had one of the sit-down Star Wars arcade games. Yeah. Uh, and I am really pissed. We have a local amusement park here called um, Dixieland. Mm-hmm. It's got go-karts and miniature golf. It used to have this badass arcade that they got rid of in favor of laser tag. And the reason I'm pissed, it was the last place... I could find one of those sit-down Star Wars games where you can fight on Hoth or the Death Star or, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, Star Wars Trilogy. Yes. That was a great game. It's a, and it's gone. (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you, you got to come down and visit me sometime. I can't promise, but the very last time I was at Disney Quest, which is a multi-level arcade at Downtown Disney, I, they had Star Wars Trilogy. And see, the cool thing about that place is once you're in, 
all the games are free. So even on like all these old retro, you know, 70s and 80s arcade games, you don't have to sit there and pump quarters at them. Once you're in the building, they're all free to play as much as you want. So you can play, you know, Star Wars Trilogy all the way through if you've got enough time. I've, and uh, I have. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I may not go anywhere else. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That'd be like the main reason I would go to Disney World is to go to the arcade. <laughs> there you go. Which is actually an interesting. Uh, after the nightmare stuff, my wife just corrected. Me. <laughs> no, the, the 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 thing about that though is that that's kind of a that's an interesting divide between my wife and I arcade games because Rachel's mother would never really want her or Eddie, her brother Eddie, to play in the arcade because she considered it a waste of money. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I thought it, I thought it was because she was cheap. I, it was cheap in the money, but a lot of it after a point was the fact that she didn't wouldn't let us go in any further without her because the big kids were going to like beat us up and abuse us in the back because we broke easy. Okay. And if we beat them at the game, they would like hit us and break us into a thousand. That's usually not how it went. <laughs> But then again, your mother is crazy. So, yeah, no. I mean, seriously? No, but I was a big arcade kid. Oh, me uh, too. And see, that's funny because my wife, she she says the same thing. You know, she's, she teases me all the time, you know, about being a juvenile delinquent when I was a kid. Because arcades, it seems to a lot of women, had this... This reputation, kind of- yeah, like they were like they were skeezy dives or something. Most of the arcades I ever went to, they were nice, you know, family operated places, you know. So I never really really went to like skeezy arcades. Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. I know that they existed, but I didn't go to those places. But hell yeah, I spent most of my youth Uh-oh. in arcades. I loved the freaking arcade. There was when I was a teenager, especially because that's when I had more disposable income. Uh, there was one in the Trexor Town Mall that had a lot of good games. There was one. In Emmaus, which is where my high school was, there was a place called Pine Tree, which was a, had an ice cream shop on one side, an arcade in the middle, and like a place to get like pizza and burgers on the other side. The cheap pizza and burgers. But still, when you're a teenager, where else do you need to go? I mean, seriously. It's like the one-stop entertainment emporium. And I would play, I tore up some Street Fighter 2, <laughs> uh, which uh, which is probably a bit of a, a generational gap between you and I. But when I was but when I was younger, there was a place when we lived in Mountaintop called Tony's Pizza, uh, the best pizza on the face of the planet. And he always had pretty cool video games, like the karate game where you just shook the two controllers and it made you kick and punch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was probably the best game ever for just walking up to your opponent and nailing them right in the balls. Exactly. <laughs> I love that game. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that there were some like hugely popular arcade games that I hated, like Qbert. Freaking couldn't stand Qbert. I was yep. never any good at it. But I remember playing Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man and Super Pac-Man. <laughs> Super Pac-Man was awesome. Because you got really big. Wow, 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 wow. Which was the first experience in disappointment at home consoles because Pac-Man on the Atari is oh classic. God. But it's just nothing like the arcade game. Not a thing. Not Donkey a Kong thing. was closer to the arcade game. Donkey Kong on a television was awesome. 
I never played in television. We didn't have one. Oh, so. I loved in television. See, I had a I had an aunt that uh, when we were living in in uh, Black River, they lived in Watertown. So it's, you know, it's like the next town over kind of thing. And uh, they would frequently have us over to babysit their kids while they would go out and stuff. And you know, anytime they would ever ask, "Hey, you know, do you want to come over and babysit Josh and Jody?" Uh, you know, who are my younger cousins? I'd be like, "Hell yeah!" Because they had the television, you know. So you know, you'd go over there and you know set the kids up with you know watching some Disney movie on TV or you know get them to bed or whatever you know, and then stay up all night playing in television until my my aunt and uncle come home. I used to love that man because they had all the best games. I would babysit the kids next door to us when I was a teenager because I had two young boys, and they had they had an Atari twenty six hundred like a billion games, which is really <laughs> odd because this was like nineteen ninety ninety one ninety two, <laughs> so it's just like these kids. I don't know why they have an Atari and not a Nintendo, but whatever. I'm going to sit here and play some Missile Command. Oh, because by that time, the, the games were coming down in price because everybody did have the Nintendo, so then you could snap up the old Ataris a hell of a lot cheaper. Even though Atari nearly killed the home video game industry, which mm-hmm. is an interesting story. It's, like, amazing that Ninten- that it was Nintendo that brought everything back, <laughs> to me at least. Well, speaking of bringing everything back, do you mm-hmm. want to dive into a... Uh... That was a great tangent, though. That was a good tangent. <laughs> I like talking about our common growing up experiences, even though you're eight years older than I am. We need to start a new podcast, Tales of the Arcade. Ah, man, I would talk about some little heroes. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of great covers. There are some out. great ones. And, uh, man, I'm looking at so many of these going, yep, own it, own it, own it. <laughs> so, I've got a lot of these. We're getting into the era where, where let's see, okay, um... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. I got nineteen out of these uh out of the out of the ones yeah, presented here. That's what I just counted too was nineteen on a quick count. And there was one or two others that I'm not positive of, but yeah. I may own as well. So yeah. Yeah, like the Warlord I may have because I have such a sketchy run of Warlord, but it's a great cover mm-hmm. of of uh, Trav an up close shot of Travis Morgan's face. But starting at the top, once again the Adventure Comics cover is boring as hell. Yeah, I do not like that cover. And it even has an ass shot and I don't like that cover. So yeah. See, like I said before, you know, I I, I probably came off as a real Gil Kane apologist in that one episode. But, yeah, this is a Gil Kane, and I do not like it. And that's one freaky fetus that they're being menaced by in that (laughs) one. Man, that's going to give me nightmares. I've never read it, but I like the Amethyst Princess of Gemworld number one. I have read that. It actually is not bad. I've heard uh, that. I I, I don't have anything against Amethyst. I I just... never read it i mean it's just i am uh, i do not like it i do not dislike it it is just not in my uh in my memory yet i got that best of dc number 36 yes. in a in a lot of blue ribbon digest that i won from jay and silent bob secret stash on ebay and it's a great cover Superman uh, versus Kryptonite. I like that one. Yeah, that is a great cover. That's that's something again that I wouldn't mind seeing as a poster. 
I do not remember jack shit about this issue, but I've always liked this cover for uh, uh, DC Comics Presents number 57, Superman and the Indeed. Stupid Atomic Knights. I just love it. a dude riding a Dalmatian. <laughs> I what know. What do you not like about that? that oh, is- it's a great <laughs> cover, but the Atomic Knights are just goofy as hell, man. But that's the issue that revealed that none of it really happened and they were all in some kind of mind, like like VR type thing before there was virtual reality. If I'm oh, remembering. God. Yeah. I love speaking of things that need to be a poster that Howard Chaikin Blackhawk Iwo Jima poster. Oh yeah. Awesome. That is cool. I didn't even realize that was Howard Chaikin until I blew up the, uh, the yeah, picture. Chaikin did a lot of the covers. Unfortunately, Dan Spiegel did the, the <laughs> interiors, which is why I don't read those issues of Blackhawk yep. because his artwork bothers me. Yeah, I don't. I don't like his art style. I really so, do not. Uh, nice Fury of Firestorm. Yeah, that's the one I was just clicking on too. Yes, that is a beautiful, beautiful Pat Broderick. You know, he's a, one of these days we need to do another episode of underrated artists because I don't think I threw out Pat Broderick the last time we did one of those. And that's a name that should come yeah, up more often. Pat Broderick is a hell of an artist that just doesn't get enough credit. Uh, I will disagree with you about his Batman run because it's not my favorite. But Captain Adam and Fury of Firestorm, mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> D- uh, Doom twenty ninety nine, dude. I don't know if you've ever read it. Nope. Not only are the stories fantastic, his art is top. I heard it was notch. one of the better twenty ninety nine. It titles. was the best, uh, in my opinion. It was the best twenty ninety nine title until it, it hit a particular mark, and I'm not sure if the writer left too, but Broderick leaves, and they brought in somebody, and I don't even know how you would describe the art style that it switched to, but it switched from a very clean, very dynamic uh, Pat Broderick to whoever this other guy was bringing this just weird ass style. And I, I'm pretty sure that the writer must've changed too, because anyway, the, the story, it just tanked after it was horrible. And it was such a shame because they had taken something that had built upon itself and built and built and built to this point where doom finally did what he always wanted to do. He conquered the world and it was fucking awesome. And then like the very next issue was like, you know, new artists and it sucked and it, I, I want to say it tanked within like six issues, I think, something like that, it, which it was a shame. Great book, but they just ruined it. Uh, interesting and, and good-looking Justice League cover, just not my favorite of that. The uh, the Wonder Woman cover, I really like the, the, the smaller Wonder Woman figure. There's yeah. something really off about that bigger one. Yeah. That's looking over her shoulder. I agree. So it's again it's a, a Gil Kane. But yeah, I agree with you. I like the the one where she's playing uh, bullets and bracelets, but the other one, yeah, it does look kind of creepy. Her head looks funny. She looks like that that girl from Bones. Which is funny cuz now that I think about it in one of the episodes of that show, she dressed up as Wonder Woman for Halloween. I just yeah, remember that. But but she's amazingly hot. No, dude. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I must disagree. She's not. I, I do not think she's attractive at all. We're gonna, what about her sister? Who's her sister? Uh, her sister's Zoe Deschanel. She uh, she was on, I think, The Mentalist. Uh, so you she's got, got a new Fox series. You got you to name something I'm familiar with. Probably not. You know, you know that girl from Bones was in Spider-Man 2, don't you? Yes. 
Yes, okay. it's the one so that uh, I like pointing that out. Yeah, the pizza girl. Yeah, that bat that issue of Batman three fifty nine. In addition to having a really great cover, uh, was expensive to buy. <laughs> was it? Yes, it cost me. It was probably the most expensive one of these that I of that run that I bought. Uh, hey, Dan Jurgens is the uh, is the interior artist. Mm-hmm. On. That's pretty cool. Looking forward to that because he did. Uh, I think he did the detective uh, right before that too. Yes, he did do the detective issue. It's early Jurgens, so his style isn't as apparent, but it's still very good. He he started out solid and just got better. Um, not a big fan of the Flash cover. <laughs> this poor Flash getting punched in the face on the cover of his own book. That's embarrassing. The New Teen Titans cover is cool, but George Perez does this kind of cover design a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, Night Force, and eh, nothing special there. Omega Men. Omega two. Men number two. I'm telling you what, dude, I am never, I don't care how much I got to take a dump, I am never following Brute into the men's room, okay? Because that cover just says to me, woo, you stuck out of this place. <laughs> Yeah, I'll agree. <laughs> you're, are, you, I'll agree. are you seeing the same image? You didn't, <laughs> no, you didn't say no, anything. No, no, I am. I, I, I am. I, 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 I was. I was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the cover you call. Now that's what I call a fart right there. Yeah. <laughs> Swamp Thing number thirteen. It sucks ass. This actually, I, I, I swear to God, I am not making this up. When this issue came out, up to this point, I was kind of sort of fairly digging what was going on although the story was starting to quickly go south this issue came out i almost didn't buy it because i was afraid my mother would see this cover which is literally this is the beast the biblical beast you know the 666 beast coming up rising up out of the ground to menace the swamp thing and i was afraid that if i bought this and my mother saw it in the house that she would flip out because i was raised in a very pentecostal household and she already did never looked favorably favorably on my comic collecting habits as a as a kid so i was afraid if she saw that that she would just totally flip out (laughs) so it was not long after that that I stopped buying Saga the Swamp Thing for a while, and that's how I missed like the early issues of the of the. Uh, I almost Moore. said Frank Miller, yeah, Alan Moore run because I stopped collecting it because I, it just it seemed like it had taken this satanic turn that again I was afraid my mother would severely disapprove, so I stopped reading it. So the Superman cover for three eighty three is Superman after he's eaten at a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that is an awesome cover, though. Yes, it is. Paris Collins. I really, really like that. One of the few comic book uh, phone booths. Because it what? didn't happen in the comics all That's that true. much. What the hell ever happened to Paris Collins, anyway? I don't know, but Blue Beetle and uh, Blue Devil were two, are two of my favorite obscure DC titles, mainly because of Paris Collins. Yep. To this very day, one of the uh, promo posters that I am most proud to own is uh, the Blue Beetle promo poster by Paris Collins. I love that thing. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, no, I'll agree with that. You think of this cover on uh, 
Brave and the Bold here. I'm I'm not you know I yeah. love some Jim Apparel, but I do not like that cover. Eh, it's 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 I I think it's the way the characters are. Yeah, uh, I'm not really big on that. Uh, I do like the cover to Green Lantern 164. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. House of Mystery has a pretty cool cover too. I love these Eye Vampire covers because they're they're almost all of them are uh, Mike Kaluta and they're just mm-hmm. gorgeous. This looks like he's on top of the Kremlin or something. That's really cool looking. Yeah, I picked up that hardcover that came out in the 80s of the Denny O'Neill Mike Kaluta shadow stuff yeah. for 50 cents. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking forward to reading that at some now, point. Is that original material or is that a reprinting? No, that's, that's reprinting the, the, the 70s stuff. Yeah, I was I was going to say, if you had never read that 70s Kaluta stuff, oh my God, is it gorgeous. Really, really good stuff. Not really big on, on most of the other covers on this row, the Legion covers. and eh. uh, The Sergeant Rock one's kind of cool just because of how they play with the logo. Yeah. Uh, not really big on the GI combat. I love this action comics cover. Yes. I've won! Yep. I need to get a new copy of that because for some reason there is a marker line right through the center of Neutron. It kind of ruins the whole thing. Uh, once again, Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew is making fun of the Crisis on Earth Prime covers. Going back to that action for just a moment. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Neutron, you know... The, Superman is is often accused of really not having a very good rogues gallery or not having ones that you know, like, you know he's uh, he's got the whole thing about you know the the businessmen in suits as his bad guys, but you know every once in a while they would sneak out you know some some good modern creations and I think Neutron was one of the cooler ones. I mm-hmm. liked Neutron. He was basically the human bomb as a bad guy, but he was still pretty awesome. I, I like that story and I love that cover. I, yeah, that's a really good one. Detective Comics number five twenty six, folks. Yeah. If you want to hear some excellent coverage of this, go check out Hey Kids Comics. Mm-hmm. Because Andrew and his son cover it and uh, I will be covering it. On the third episode of Bailey's Batman podcast, which I teased last week and said I was going to talk about on Comics Monthly Monday and then never did. <laughs> so, so for those of you who don't know, I am starting up a new podcast. It launches on September 6th, 2011. It's called Bailey's Batman podcast. I am reading my entire run of Batman and detective and related titles. And you're coming with me, folks starting with the first appearance of Jason Todd and moving forward. So uh, I will be definitely covering this issue in there. See, this Detective Comics 526, and then again, Batman number 400 a couple years later, That those two issues really owe a lot to why I never thought Nightfall was all that great. Because I felt like here were two stories that essentially did the same thing much better all in one issue because they both are essentially the same thing. It's like all of Batman's rogues getting loose and messing with him. You know, that's yeah, that but type of a story. Here's where I'm going to argue with you on that though. In, in, in detective Five Twenty Six and Batman 400, that was the story. The, what happened in nightfall was a means to an end, right? It's basically, it's the same thing that the Superman titles did, that Doomsday wasn't the story. The story is what happens after Superman dies. Right. 
So the story isn't that all of the inmates have broken out of Arkham. The story is is that Bane breaks Batman. But this is just how he does it. I do find it an, an incredibly amusing that Doug Mensch comes back to Batman to write uh, just before Nightfall and, and, and does that. And he was the one that wrote Batman 400. So there was a little bit of deja vu. I think in Batman 400 it was Rachel Ghoul that broke everybody out. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Or it may have been this one. Uh, they, they are both very similar, though. They're both cool, don't get me wrong. Right. So do you recognize this Green Arrow series now? I Vaguely. I mean, I recognize the cover, but yeah, I never I never read this. This was still in that era where I very much uh, despised Green Arrow, and I'm not really all that keen on him these days either. But yeah, now that I see it, I do kind of vaguely remember when that was on the stands. Uh, I almost... Almost feel bad asking this. So, what do you think of this Jonah Hex cover? I do not like it. This is one of my least favorite of the whole series. I, I'm okay. not crazy about the design or anything on that one. One of the big problems is that you know, you know, the name of the or you know, the title that's on the cover is Tarantula, and just by the looks of it, it looks like you know the at least part of the story is going to involve Jonah and whoever this girl is being menaced by tarantulas. Well, these, I'm sorry, those do not look. The least bit like tarantulas. I don't and know what they are. Are not very deep. I mean, they're they're poisonous, but they're not aggressive spiders. Right. So I never really. I don't like it when people try to make tarantulas look like the evil spiders. Right. So yeah, this yeah. looks like this looks like face huggers more than than spiders. I don't. <laughs> I like uh, the Superboy portion of this Superboy cover, but that alien is damn goofy looking. Uh, I'll agree with that. Speaking of goofy looking, that world's finest cover is not to my liking. Nope. Not a bad cover. I think that's a Keith Giffen, isn't it? No, that's a Walt Simonson. I, See, like, I like Superman and Batman on yeah, it. I just yeah. hate, I hate Stalagron. Stalagron! Yeah, I know. Yeah, the Superman-Batman part of it's really cool looking, but yeah, I agree. The other half of it's just kind of like, bleh. And uh, it's nice to see that uh, Joe Kubert has decided to move on elsewhere and go ruin a title I could give a rat's ass about, West, uh, Weird uh, War Tales, rather than uh, All-Star Squadron. Because, man, that's an ugly cover on that one. So Yes, it is. There you go, Joe. Knock yourself out over there at uh, Weird War Tales. Stay the hell away from my All-Star Squadron. Well, that- folks, what? Ah, I was just going to say, that pretty much wraps us up on uh, Elsewhere in the Multiverse. And uh, usually this is where we read emails, but we've run kind of long, folks, and I've got an early day tomorrow. So I think we're going to have to postpone those for an episode, which I kind of feel bad about because we've been really good about uh, getting to them. But at the same time, it'll let more build up, so we'll have more grist for the mill on that because we got a few after we after we had our shout out for for more emails we got more emails which was kind of nice so mm-hmm. uh this issue of all-star squadron sadly has not been reprinted we have got to find something else to go out on we need to start throwing that out to, at the beginning of the show okay so that it's not the sad note you know the the, the you know the David Banner walking off at the end of the episode. It's just the fucking downer at every episode. Sorry to use the strong language, but it is. It, it, it's such a downer to everyone. We got to find something positive. You, you know what's playing under us right now, don't you? 
No, I want to end it this way. Next issue is freaking awesome. You're going to love it. Be here or something. Be, well, we can't go with what rhymes with here, so. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com Scott and I have gigantic egos and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com Thanks for listening and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. <laughs> <laughs>